Hello, and welcome to the River Audio Podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We believe God has something unique to say to you, and our hope is that you feel His love stronger today than ever before. Enjoy the message. I'd like to invite you to turn with me. We've got uh, two texts and really, these, these two verses, really, I'll say that they are themes. We're not going to preach a whole lot from these two verses, but I just want to take these verses to set the tone for where we're going. And so those two verses are Psalm 31 and 1 and Romans 10 and 11. Romans 10, verse 11. And of course... They'll have it up here as well. Psalm 31 and 1. I'm intentionally stalling because I know that a whole lot more. (laughs) Psalm 31 and 1. Yeah, give me a hand. And this is what the psalmist said. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. Now pause there. Try not to look ahead. In thee, O Lord, do I put my trust. He's not making a general statement here. He is prefacing whatever situation he's in. He's wanting to get specific about a specific thing. And he is laying a foundation that God concerning this thing, I put my trust in you. How many of you know that that there is a general faith? You know, we could say collectively, we have faith in God. We have faith that Jesus is Lord. But how many of you know it's a very different thing to place faith in Jesus for what you're going through? There are a lot of people that are saved that are not putting their faith in him for the present circumstance, the present thing. There are people that have invited Jesus into their heart so they can go to heaven one day, but they are not operating in faith for everyday victory. But the psalmist had learned that he could exercise faith in God for whatever he was going through. How many of you have been walking this Christian walk long enough to find out that your faith is not just general, but whatever you're going through, you can go to God in faith for that thing. The psalmist says, in thee, O Lord, do I put my trust for this. Let me... Never be ashamed. Let me never be ashamed. Deliver me. Deliver me from what? From shame. Deliver me from shame in your righteousness. I don't have any righteousness of my own. I have plenty to be ashamed of. I've got plenty of regrets. I've got plenty of hurts. I've got plenty of things that I wouldn't want anybody to know. I've got plenty of things that I've done that I wished I wouldn't have done. God, I'm putting my trust in you. Please 
Remove my shame from me and do it by way of your righteousness. I don't have any righteousness. Can I get lost in your righteousness? Can I take my shame off and put your righteousness on? Let's pray before we read the next one. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for this message. I believe that you stirred this in my heart. I believe that you wanted this message today for who you knew would be here today, who would be watching today. And I need your help. Please help me that I do not preach this in my strength or my power or my opinions. But, Father, help me that I would preach this in your power Holy Spirit, I'm asking you to fill me afresh. I'm asking you to take over and do what I can't do and minister to the heart of your people today. In Jesus' name, amen. David, or whoever it is, the psalmist is dealing with what all of us have dealt with, which is shame. Anybody deal with shame? Don't be, don't be ashamed to put your hand. <laughs> You're in good company. You're in good company. We all have things that we wish we had not done, that we had not participated in, that we had not been part of. And here we see the psalmist thousands of years ago facing this, this same thing that is common to every human being from creation to present, shame and regret and guilt. You cannot believe how much the Bible has to say about shame and being ashamed. When you get home, just get on your U version and punch in the search, shame, ashamed, and look at what comes up, but look at how it's dealt with. Let's go to Romans 10 and 11. So now we are fast-forwarding several thousand years into the New Testament, post-cross, post-resurrection, after Jesus has died, after he's been resurrected, and the Apostle Paul is now receiving the message of grace, the finished work, the new covenant, the, our apostle of grace, to bring this finished work message to the world. And he says this, Inspired of the Holy Ghost. For the scripture says, Whosoever believeth on him. Who is him? Whosoever believeth on Jesus shall not be ashamed. Are you ready to not feel guilty? Are you ready to not feel heavy with condemnation? Are you ready to not be ashamed? It's amazing how much that the God of the universe, it is amazing how much our creator, this great big God, deals with helping people to not feel ashamed. That it is the heart of God that man would not carry the weight of his own sin and failure. That's amazing. 
When we read in Isaiah 53, and you can do it later, you would want to read like Isaiah 53, verses 3 through 5, and it is a prophetic list Isaiah was giving of everything that Jesus would pay for on the cross. Sin and sickness and on and on and on. But here's one of the things that he says. Isaiah actually makes a a, a division between Jesus' payment for sin and the payment for the guilt of our sin. He makes it specific that not only did Jesus take the payment for your sin, he also paid for you to not continue carrying the guilt. Can I just start today in this message titled Overcoming Guilt and Shame to tell you that Jesus loves you and he does not want you to continue carrying your guilt and shame. It is not God's will for you to carry your shame. Sometimes we think we're being humble by carrying your shame. But we're not. We're being prideful. We're saying, Jesus, we don't believe you really paid for it. That is good. Humility says, I refuse to carry what Jesus paid for. Humility and faith in God says, Jesus carried my guilt and shame. I will not. I will not let his death be in vain. I will not let his payment for my shame be in vain. I won't carry it. I'll give him my shame, and I'll take his joy. What I'm going to tell you today, if you do not know this, this is going to radically alter your mind about God and about life and about your sin. I wish I had had this information a long, long time ago. I almost didn't preach this message today. I told you yesterday I was going to preach this message, and then Rose said, do you remember it's Family Sunday? And I thought, oh, man, this is not like a shortcut milk message. And I almost changed it. I was just going to do more with the rope. I was going to talk more about God putting the pieces back together, which would be a good message. Maybe I'll do it next week. No, I got another one for next week. But, but as I wrestled and prayed and put down other notes, I have to preach this today. And I thought to myself, I thought, man, this message is, I mean, I'm not going to keep you all afternoon, but it's not a little bitty short either. And I thought, oh, man, I want to preach some long message with the kids there. And I got to thinking about me sitting in church growing up. Thank God that my pastor never said, well, there's kids here, so we won't go too far. I am here today because my pastor, 60 feet that away, preached what God told him to preach. And I thought, what if one of these kids are dealing with guilt and shame? They might feel terrible about something that they did or something that was done to them. They might need this message. Who am I to say what they won't understand? And I know I've got their attention at least for a little while. Because they're wondering what in the world's going to happen here. Thank you, Ben Lashley, for bringing that for me. I, I wanted to have a shield, too. I didn't have a shield, so just pretend, okay? Hallelujah. 
No, <laughs> look at this mighty shield. Listen, while praise and worship was going on, I'm sorry if you saw me on my phone. I was on Amazon <laughs> buying acrylic cleaner. <laughs> You're welcome. <laughs> I thought if I don't do this right now, I'm not going to remember it, and that thing is nasty. If you're a note taker, get ready. Your whole life's getting ready to change. We're going to hit the ground running. I'm not going to preach into a crescendo. We're just going to jump right in. Feelings. Somebody say feelings. Feelings. Somebody say desires. Desires. Feelings and desires. You don't have to say it this time. (laughs) Feelings and desires are not sin. If I stop preaching right now, somebody already got free. I am going to spend the rest of this message saying that line about a million different ways so that everybody picks it up. Which, by the way, that's how I preach. I don't know if anybody knows that. I tell you one thing, and then I say the same thing a million different angles so that everybody gets in somehow. Feelings and desires are not sin. What you do with your feelings and desires is another matter. A lot of people have been conditioned, unfortunately, by the church or by parents that maybe didn't know a lot about love. How many of you know there are a lot of parents that they do their best to love, but they were never taught how to love? And so it's not that they don't have care for their kids. They didn't know how. They didn't know how. Let's, uh, let's appreciate all parents, at least for any effort. Come on. Some people, my sister and I, we were saturated with love. And I found out as I got older, I figured all parents were like my parents. I found out later that they weren't. A lot of people have been conditioned by a rough home life or unfortunately by church, to feel guilt and to feel shame because of wrong desires that are inside of them. Can we just be real honest? How many have ever dealt with wrong desires? You have a desire for something that the Bible says is not right? A lot of people have been conditioned to feel very, very guilty for having that kind of desire, and you fill in the blank. I mean, it fits all of us for a million situations. But so many people feel guilty because they have that desire. Like, oh, I feel terrible about myself. I'm a a gross person. I'm a sinful person. I'm a messed up person. Why is this in me? And they they try to hide. They don't want anybody to, to know. They assume that they are unique in this and that other people wouldn't understand. They assume the other people in their house would never have something so dark. And so then they end up fighting it by their self, and the lie is in that. Satan tries to keep people bound with secrets. They think things are a bigger deal than they actually are. They grow it into something monumental when it was really very small. If they had just simply said when it first came up, I'm dealing with this. And then the other person would have said, I dealt with that too. You know, this happens. And they're, oh, and it would have disarmed it. 
Are you with me? Punishing yourself and shaming yourself for a wrong desire will never defeat the desire. We think if I just fight it hard enough, I'll defeat it. Tricks on you. That's not how it works. That is not how it is disarmed. In fact, that's how it's strengthened. 1 Corinthians 15 says that the law is the strength of sin. We make it bigger by trying to handle it ourselves. We make it bigger by trying to use willpower. I'll just try harder. I just won't do it. I just won't give in. Do you know what else will never defeat that desire? Pretending that there's nothing wrong with it. Come on, somebody. People tend to do one of two things with feelings that they know are wrong. They either hide it and beat themselves up about it, or they say, well, since it's not going away, it must be okay. If God's not removing it, God must be okay with it. Wrong. Both wrong responses, and neither of them fix it. Neither of them fix it. They think, well, that desire is okay. It must be completely normal. It might be normal, but that doesn't make it okay. We're living in a world that says that if it's common, that it's all right. Listen, normal does not justify anything. Normal does not make anything right. God decided what's right. God decided what's wrong. God created the earth. God created humanity. God decided just because something is common doesn't make it right. This is where we get tricked. Do you want to be tricked? Do you want to be fooled? Do you want to be deceived? Do you want to be gullible? Do you want to be vulnerable? This is where we get tricked into justifying evil. And then evil puts us in a cage and calls it freedom. But God says something very different. 1 Corinthians 10 and 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer you to be tempted above that you are able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. God says all these temptations are common. They are all quite normal to the world, not God's normal. But they're all quite normal, and that doesn't make it right. It doesn't make it right. But he says, however, even though these temptations are common, he said, it is also common that I provide power and strength and make a way. And make a way. It is normal that you are tempted. It is normal that you have these feelings. It is normal that you have these desires. And it is normal to lean on God and to conquer them. It is normal to rally with your brothers and sisters and love the hell out of each other and rise up in the power of the Holy Spirit and live in victory over these feelings. Is this helping anybody today? Galatians 5 and 24, they that belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with the affections and the lusts. 
God never says these things won't be there. He never said they won't be around. He never said you will age to a place where you don't deal with them anymore. He never said you'll come to a place of spiritual maturity and no sin will interest you in any way. It won't even look good. He never said that. He never said that. But he did say, rather, we'll crucify them. Here's what God says about wrong desires and wrong feelings. Number one, they're going to be there. Number two, you still have to agree with the word and do the right thing. Genesis 4 and 7, Cain had just killed Abel. Cain, or Cain's just getting ready to kill Abel. Cain and Abel, Abel gives a sacrifice to the Lord and was accepted. It was a sacrifice. We don't have time to go into it, but it was a sacrifice based on faith. Cain made a sacrifice to the Lord based on works. Abel's sacrifice was a blood sacrifice in faith in a lamb. Cain's sacrifice was that he had worked the land and then brought God the very human best. When God did not accept it, Cain's countenance was fallen. And this is what God said. If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? He said, Cain, you can be accepted too. It's not that big of a deal. He said, you see what Abel did and it was accepted. Don't trip. Just do right. You can do it too and you're also accepted. God is not freaking out on Cain. God is not punishing Cain. God just didn't accept that sacrifice. God said, this is the one I accept. This one I don't accept. But you can do this too. It's no big deal. Let me tell you a side note. This is not from this message. The people who do not want to do right are always going to hate those of you who do right. There is a jealousy inside of them for what you have. And it started in the garden. It has been going on this long, brother hating brother, family hating family, uh, people around you hating the people around them because they don't want to do what is accepted. They want to do their own thing. They could do right and be accepted, but they would rather do wrong and hate you. That ought to help somebody. You're not by yourself. He said, Cain, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. He said, but if you don't do what's right, sin is crouching at the door. Like, this is the best I can hide behind this. Um, I, I'm, I'm sin, okay? Just imagine. Lisa, are you getting this picture? This is viral gold. He said, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to have you. Do you know that the commandments are not given to steal your fun? They're given to protect you. The commandments are really not, do this, don't do that. 
the commandments are really, when you do this, this happens. When you do this, this happens. God is telling you cause and effect. And God says, I've given you, like, God says, this is the way I've made you to work. And I'm giving you the instruction manual. If somebody makes an automobile and then they give it to someone and say, here's the manual. Here's how I built this automobile. Here's how it will work. Here's what you can put in it. Here's what you shouldn't put in it. And then the person says, the creator of this car is trying to steal my fun. It'll run on sugar if I want it to. And then you put sugar in it and then it blows up. And then you say, the creator of the automobile has punished me so mean. And he wasn't here when I needed him. And Henry Ford's over here like, say, what? (laughs) I gave you the manual. I told you what works. I didn't punish you. I didn't left you. I told you and you did it. Are you hearing me? He said, Cain, he said, if you'll do right, everything's fine. He said, but if you don't, this thing is hiding and waiting to have you. But you must rule over it. We think, I've been serving the Lord. Why is this thing still here? Why does it still hurt? Why is it still after me? Why, why did this temptation uh, come? This should have just disappeared. I shouldn't have to deal with this. What Bible are you reading? Probably not reading. You probably never took the time to find out what to put in your tank. The Bible says it's going to be there. Wrong desires are going to be there. And you have to rule over them. Sin is crouching at your door. Its desire is to have you, but you must rule over it. Now, God has given a name to those feelings and those desires. They are called temptation. Somebody say temptation. Temptation. They're called temptation. Understand something this morning. This is so important. Always know temptation is not sin. Temptation is not something you did. Temptation is something something else did to get you to do something. Praise God if you're being tempted. It means you didn't do it yet. Come on. Don't feel bad about the temptation. Feel happy that you're enough of a threat that the kingdom of darkness is after you. This is why the writer of James, which would be James, this is why James said... Listen, there are little tricks preachers use to sound a little fancier. You know, the writer of such and such, but if, if, the, if the author is also the name of the book, don't use it. 
James said, count it all joy when you fall into diverse temptation. Man, when you're being tempted and you're struggling and wrestling, it doesn't feel like a time to rejoice, does it? But it is. Something wants to stop you for some reason. And you should get excited anytime that the enemy is after you. If you have done something that gets the attention of the enemy, you're doing something right. I'm concerned about the folks that never have any trouble, that nothing ever tries to stop them. You're nobody till somebody hates you. If your enemies haven't talked about you in a while, something's wrong. If nobody's running their mouth about you, you're not doing anything. I must really be doing some stuff. Temptation is not sin. Temptation is trying to pull you towards sin, to trap you, to trap you. Somebody say, temptation is not sin. Hebrews 4 and 15, for we have not a high priest, Jesus, which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Temptation is not sin. Jesus was tempted. If you have been tempted in all ways, you're in good company. You're like Jesus. When you start feeling tempted, when you start feeling wrong desires, you feel gross about yourself, and you think, oh, man, I'm like the devil. And the Bible says, no, you're like Jesus. If you were like the devil, you'd be doing the tempting. You're the one being challenged. You're playing for the right team. You're on the right side. You're team Jesus. Throughout Jesus' life, Satan presented him with every kind of sin. Brought it before his mind. You do not have to be ashamed because something crazy popped into your mind. Those same thoughts were whispered to Jesus. Ephesians 6 and 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith wherewith you shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. Let's just stop there and then we'll come back to it. The fiery darts of the wicked. Your temptations, your wrong desires, your wrong feelings, the Bible calls them flaming darts. I should have brought a dartboard. Flaming darts, fiery darts. They are being thrown at your mind. They are being thrown at your thought life. Now, I'll start first of all by saying those darts, those thoughts are not your own. 
I have discovered that most Christians have never been taught that many of your thoughts are not your own. They think that if they think something, they thought it. That's not true. Many of your thoughts you didn't think. You heard. If I'm in the grocery store and somebody on the next aisle begins to use vulgarity and profanity and, and I hear it, I didn't do that. It's not in my mind because I thought of it. It's in my mind because I heard it. Are you with me? I don't want to hear it. I don't like how it makes me feel, but I didn't do it. So I can't carry guilt and shame because <laughs> I was going to drop something. I'll leave it alone. <laughs> because somebody over here is talking that way. I can't carry that. Are you hearing me? Now, you might be watching and listening to stuff that makes the enemy's job real easy, and that's on you. That's your fault because you're cooperating with him. So if you do it, you're wrong for it. You can never stand against what you're filling yourself with. You can never defeat what you are saturating yourself with. You cannot saturate yourself with the world's influence and expect God to flip the switch off in one moment. You can't do whatever you want and then say, God, please take this out. Most of what we have been conditioned to believe works by miracles does not work by miracles. Victory in the Christian life works by programming not by touches and miracles. And God, breathe on me one more time. Thank God for the touch. Thank God when he breathes on us. Thank God when we feel him. But that's not how you live, child of God. You live by principles. You live by a way. You live by information. My people perish for a lack of knowledge he created our brains to work on continual programming and conditioning. Not on sudden bursts. On that note, it is a gross tragedy when children are forced to see terrible examples which programs their mind to think that darkness is normal. And unfortunately, many, many, many are raised in such environments. Or if a child goes through trauma or abuse, things begin to light up in their brain way before time. Things that they are too young to process. So they go into survival mode and try to make sense of it. And their new normal is not normal at all. They begin to believe that that's who they are. 
instead of realizing, in fact, it was introduced from the outside. The enemy has a plan to imprison us, whether by trauma, by tragedy, or by temptation. And here's the result. We crave things that never bring us lasting pleasure. We desire things that will not satisfy us. We want things that don't produce peace. How many times do we have to go around the track before we recognize the pattern? And that every time I do this, it doesn't give me what was advertised. The advertisement says, go ahead and do this. You'll feel like this. We do it. Then we don't feel like that. And we say, that didn't work. I don't want to do that again until they put up the next billboard. How, how many times? Well, you can't break that track in your willpower. It takes grace. You're not going to break it with law preaching. You're not going to break it with some mean judgmental church that says try harder. You already tried harder. You ought to have enough sense to know it's not working. Instead, you need to come and hear how much God loves you anyway. Identify what it is and let that power of grace begin to change it. We enjoy things that are killing us. Killing those around us. We're sliding down a slippery slope. We're broken. We're believing the lie. Fiery darts. The enemy of our soul stands throwing these flaming darts at our mind and at our conscience to see which one will stick. And if we don't pull them out, that flame will burn our thinking. This is why the Bible talks about the conscience becoming, you're way ahead of me, seared. If you put a stake over a fire, the flame changes what it looks like. And the enemy's intent is that we'll leave the fiery dart there because you don't want to admit it, but sometimes the temptation feels pretty good. We only seem to fight the stuff the enemy does that we don't like. We come and get prayer for the stuff that he does that we don't like. But we put up with the stuff he does that we kind of do like. And that's his goal. I'll throw these till one sticks. Said that he tempted Jesus all those ways in the wilderness. And at the end of it, when Jesus resisted, it said, and the enemy left him until a more opportune time. He wasn't done. He just said, oh, that didn't work. Regroup. Just because you're breathing for a second, don't think you're never going to have to fight again. He's throwing these fiery darts trying to sear, to burn your conscience. 
We can never stop the enemy from throwing darts. He never will. But the late John Osteen said, you can't stop birds from flying over your head, but you can stop them from building a nest in your hair. How do we defeat those fiery darts? Ephesians 6 and 16. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you will be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. There will never be a way to stop temptations from coming, but we can know what to do with them when they get here. 2 Corinthians 2 and 11 said, Lest Satan should get an advantage of us, we're not ignorant of his devices. We know how he works. So we can't stop him from coming, but we know what to do when he gets here. I hear you knocking, but you can't come in. Quench them with the shield of faith. How do you use the shield of faith? Oh, that preaches good. That sounds good. We bring a knight in shining armor to the vacation Bible school and come on. But what's it mean? How do we do that? You ever been in a church service and they tell you to put on the armor of God? You ever been in one of these and they tell you that every morning stand in the mirror? Any, am I, anybody? And they say, I actually say it. I put on the helmet of salvation. I put on the... I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. But I can tell you what it means... What does it mean to quench those darts with a shield of faith? Here's what faith is. Are you ready? Faith is insisting on believing what God says about who I am, regardless of what my temptations tell me. Faith is insisting on what the Word of God says about me, regardless even of my failures. I choose. Somebody say choose. I choose to trust him instead of me. I choose to trust Jesus instead of my thoughts. I choose to trust the Bible instead of my body. That is the shield of faith that protects me. Psalm 91, verse 4, part B. means the second half. It's like Psalm 91 for, but the sequel. His truth shall be my shield and buckler. His truth. I don't believe what the world says about my identity. I don't believe what my sin says. I don't believe what my temptations say. I don't believe what my struggle says. I don't believe what my failure says. I believe what God says, and I've been washed in the blood. I've been saved. I've been forgiven. I've been redeemed. I've been born again, spirit-filled, fire-baptized. I'm a child of God. That's the shield of faith, a shield and a buckler. Now, these are both shields. A shield and a buckler are both shields. A shield is the big shield. It's like a riot shield. 
You know how three policemen will all get behind one riot shield to work into the crowd, to go into the heat of battle. That's a shield. But a buckler was a small shield worn on the arm that an individual could move quickly depending on where the sword was striking or the arrow was flying over the top. So you would have the shield for the, the press of the troops and all this, but you would have the buckler to catch what they shot over the top of the riot shield. I'm saved. That's my shield. But this word is my buckler for what the enemy fires over the top to try to launch in my mind. And I say, nope. And my buckler quenches the fiery dart before it becomes part of my identity. Before I have these feelings, so I must be this. I feel this way, so I must be this. But the buckler says, nope, quench it. Is this helping anybody today? Nope. All right. Well, I'll try harder next time. The shield of faith. The shield of faith. How do we defeat the fiery darts of the enemy? With the shield of faith. But listen to the very next verse. And take the helmet, the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Why is it that when the Bible is talking about the devil throwing fiery darts at your mind, the very next words is you better put a helmet on around it? Are you with me? This is not by chance. This is not by chance. Salvation offers protection to your head. Salvation does not just get my heart saved to go to heaven. Salvation will protect my mind while I'm here on the earth so I can think like God thinks. He said, you have the mind of Christ. And then later he said, let this mind be in you, the mind of Christ. That means you have access to it. Use it. You have a helmet. Put it on. Got to put that helmet on. Put it on. Somebody say, put it on. As these fiery darts come, you have a choice not to believe them. You can say, that's not mine. I'm born again. You can say that's from the outside, not from the inside. That's the problem. The devil's trying to convince you that it came from you. It didn't. It came from the outside, not from the inside. Package refused by addressee. Return to sender. Quit picking up the bill for everything the devil orders. That was good, wasn't it? Oh, man, that was good. Have you ever ordered... Have you ever ordered a meal at a restaurant and after you ate it, you realize that you forgot to 
pay attention and enjoy it? Listen, if you got if you got if you're going out with somebody that you talk a lot, don't go anywhere too expensive. Because talking seems to be louder than taste buds. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Maybe it's not everybody, but it's me. I have eaten a meal, and then somebody said, how was it? I'm like, I don't know. I forgot to pay attention. It might not have even been that good, but you didn't notice. It might not have been what you ordered, but you didn't notice. Rose and I... We were in uh, Lake of the Ozarks, and we pulled in at this little restaurant, and can I just tell everybody, if, if it's not a ribeye, it's not a steak? <laughs> I hate to burst your bubble, but if you had a sirloin, you did not have a steak. Sirloin is for making burgers. They had a great price on ribeyes. And I thought, this was not a chain. You know, this was like, I mean, there are real waitresses running around, like 1980s waitresses, you know what I'm saying? And they don't need a pen and paper to take your order, and they, they know, you know. And I thought, this place knows how to cook a steak, I bet. So order a ribeye. So they bring us our food, and we start eating, and I'm not paying any attention. And about halfway through the ribeye, I'm looking at the ribeye, and I said, I said, this is weird. I said, they put bacon around it. I said, who puts bacon around a ribeye? And we go on talking. You're way ahead of me. And so I was like, well, whatever. It's delicious. So I, I ate it. I can't believe I ate the whole thing. So I ate it. So when she brings the check out, the check is way bigger than it should have been. I said, uh, excuse me. This is way too much. And she looked and looked. She's like, no, that's exactly right. I said, no. I said, I said, my ribeye was only supposed to be $20. She said, your ribeye? I said, yeah. She said, you ordered the filet. I said, no, I didn't. I said, I only eat ribeyes. I said, I ordered the ribeye. She said, this girl was not happy. She's like, you ordered the filet. I said, well, no, I said, I'm, I'm not paying for that. She said, you ate it. She said, you didn't notice <laughs> some point the bacon. <laughs> Make a long story short, I did not pay for the filet. But here is my point. The devil gets you to eat something. And then tells you it came from you. 
I didn't order that, so I'm not paying for it. I might have been tempted, and I may have even failed, but it's still not mine. It's not who I am, and I refuse to identify with it. The world tries to convince you that those thoughts are yours from the inside, so you should just embrace them. But the Bible shows us that when we get saved, he kills the sin nature. He shuts down the sin factory. After I've been born again, those thoughts are either from memories I have or they are temptations from the outside or one working with the other, but they're not from me. If you have a wrong thought, if you have a thought that does not agree with the word of God, it did not come from you. It's not from the real you. It's not from your spirit. I don't have to feel bad about it. I don't have to claim it, and I don't have to keep acting on it. Colossians 3. Cruising in for a landing here. If ye then be risen with Christ, and you are if you've been born again, how many of you have died with Christ? How many of you have been risen with Christ, baptized into that same body? How many of you are born again, saved, kings and priests, children of the Most High? If you are risen with Christ, seek the things which are above, where Christ sits on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on earth, for you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, appears, you will appear also with him in glory. Therefore, mortify your members which are upon the earth. Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concompasses. Took me a long time to learn concupiscence. Covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake, the wrath of God comes on the children of disobedience, in the which some of you walked sometime when you lived in them. But now you also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Don't lie to one another, seeing you have put off the old man with his deeds. You've put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created you. Alicia, you made it in here for a good one. Every time Alicia's in kids' church, that's when, like, the Holy Ghost, you know, explodes and people get out of wheelchairs and Alicia's like, did I miss anything? No, nothing at all. <laughs> the Scripture says to crucify those desires. How do we crucify them? Uh, if you don't want to write all these down, I can copy-paste it and send it to you. You might want the list. <laughs> Number one, we agree with God's word. We call those feelings and those desires what they are. We call them wrong. We don't pretend they're not. We don't justify them. We don't make light of them. But we also refuse to shame ourselves for it being there. So we call it wrong, but we refuse to be ashamed just because it popped in there. We recognize that it's there, but that it's not who we are. We are not our desires. 
We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We don't hide and pretend. James 5.16. Here's what else you do. Confess your faults one to another. Find somebody you can trust and say, I'm feeling this. The word says it's wrong. I needed to say this to somebody. Can we pray together? And the Bible says that's what breaks it. That's what disarms it. You take it out of the dark, you put it in the light, and the light dries it up. Confess your faults one to another, pray for one another, that you may be healed. The effectual, fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And I want to say that in the original Greek, it says healed. It says restored to a spiritual tone of mind. That if you'll do this, you will be restored to a spiritual tone of mind. When we fail, we thank God for grace and mercy, and we keep moving forward. Warning, this does not happen overnight. It happens over a lifetime. God is patient with you. Be patient with yourself. God is way more patient with you than you are. God would never be as hard on you as you are and as we are on each other. The Bible says that God remembers our frame that we are but dust. God likes you. God loves you. He loves you the same. He loves you just like you are. Loves you too much to leave you that way. But he likes you anyway through all of it. This does not happen overnight. It happens over a lifetime. The devil keeps on being the devil. Our flesh keeps on being our flesh. But God's word keeps on being true. And we start to learn that consistent joy is worth a lot more than temporal pleasure. I feel like I've said what I'm supposed to. Thanks again for listening to the River Audio Podcast. We hope that these weekly sermons are an encouragement to your life. Make sure to stay connected with us throughout the week online at theriverworshipcenter.org and on Facebook and Instagram at The River.